Welcome to Witch Yes, a podcast for casual conjurings, witches in training, and the pussy power of prayer. I'm Alicia Herter. And me, yeah, I'm Tara Keck. The pussy power princess provocateur. Ooh. Yes, yes. Good one. She says eat pineapple. She says piss regularly. <laughs> it's good for you. <laughs> On today's episode, Spooky Caves, which is in the news and a spell to take your power back. I want my power and I want it now. It's my power. <laughs> and I need it now. But then also, then the Vikings come in and they're like, it's my power. Ooh. And I want it now. Yeah, like a whole opera situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or it's my power and I'll cry if I want to. That's a good one. <laughs> That's excellent. It, it's, um, it's getting powerful in here. Don't take off all your clothes. I am feeling so powerful. I'm going to take my clothes off. Circa 2008 feminism. That was truly like, because I think we were in middle school or like about to go into middle school when that song came out. And it was just like, it was so popular and we were like so young. It, it's just kind of like mind blowing to me. That was probably like the first time where it was like, sex is like a thing. And I was like, oh man, people really seem to enjoy this shit. <laughs> Hot take over here. I feel a little naughty. I was like, oh my gosh, I grew up in Indiana. I can't just take my clothes off. <laughs> We're at the Kroger. I'm like, oh my god. Mother, don't listen to the song. <laughs> Fucking wild. How are you doing, my dude? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. I'm back in New York City. Amazing. God bless. Fucking talk about the pussy power of prayer. Give me back to this fucking <laughs> liberal stronghold. Back in the New York groove. Yes. I actually, uh, if I could geek a little bit yeah. about my wedding off air, we were bitching about my DJ, but he did play Empire State of Mind. And the memory of singing Empire State of Mind with like Natalie Ortiz and Ray Huang and like other people that have like moved yeah. to be in New York is like such a precious memory to me that like we were all up on the dance floor and just like singing and rapping Jay-Z to each other. Yep. I love that. It, it was like the most beautiful memory. I was off to the side, but I was also rapping. That was a moment for me. I had this whole like evolution after I did my speech that you were just dancing and unaware of because I didn't eat until doing the speech because I literally took one bite at your dinner, got the tiniest thing on my dress, and I was like, I'm fuck I fucking can't eat. I'm gonna spill. No. I'm gonna completely spill. So I'm starving. The waiter's trying to take my food away from me multiple times. And I have Patty and Marcel being like, no, 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 don't take this full <laughs> plate of fucking food. <laughs> Keep it here. She will eat it eventually. And this waiter was so over me. He just wanted to take that plate so he could get the fuck out of there. And I was like, yo. Your bride paid $30,000 for you to wait around for this food. I was like, this is mine. This is my plate. <laughs> so then finally did the maid of honor speech, was able to eat. Then I had to stop and I was like, I have to take off the spandex. So I went to the bathroom, took off the spandex so that I could come back and continue eating. <laughs> what? Oh my God, amazing. <laughs> it was a whole like evolution. And then I was like, I guess now I can start drinking. So I had literally like two glasses of wine your whole wedding because I was like, I need to be sober for this speech. I can't like fuck it up. And then I went to the dance floor. But it was so good. It was beautiful. There are some really gorgeous photos. We're like going through like our photographer is sending us stuff and there's some really gorgeous photos of you. Oh, thank you. I mean, I was stunning. I paid a lot of money to look that good. <laughs> the money was spent. But how are you? Your birthday is in literally, by the time this airs, 11 days. Oh, thank goodness. It's like my favorite time of the year. My birthday. Mine too. In the, um, in the spirit of your bachelorette party, my little birthday party is going to be a Korean karaoke event. Oh, yeah. Isn't that cute? 
but it'll be fun. It'll have those like lights in there and it'll be a good time. I do feel like the Korean karaoke, like they know how to do like their individual rooms. Mm -hmm. They're very like, it's very presentational. Yes. And that's what I wanted. I was like, I want a sequestered in a room where I can hear everyone sing awful. (laughs) And I will also sing awful. So can't wait. Birthday, baby. Birthday, birthday. Birthday, birthday. Speaking of birthday, Mm -hmm. our Patreon is about to crest a significant event, which is in five Patreon episodes. We are five Patreon episodes away from number 100, baby. That's so crazy. Isn't it nuts? Five away? We are five away. And for $5 a month, you could be there for those last five. (laughs) So they better fucking count. (laughs) No pressure, but pressure on us. So that's a hundred extra episodes, just like there, ready in the on the charcuterie board next to the cheese and the olives, mm. waiting there for you. Delicious. And last week we did the Valley of the Headless Men, which was very spooky and also possibly our get rich quick scheme, but possibly will kill us. I'm, it's I'm very torn. Yes. Yeah. It depends. It depends how the Kickstarter goes. It might be worth it. Alicia. Yes. Today we are talking about. Something I have complex feelings about. Okay. Which is caves. All right. Let me get my little notepad here. Um, my little like glasses. Please feel free to lay down. Tell me about these caves. So when I was a child, I was taken to a cave. Okay. So is this some kind of like womb thing? Is this about being expelled from the womb? Yes. Yeah. The lack of security you have since that Mm -hmm. moment. Latent homosexuality. Oh, yes. Yes. It always is. But Alicia, you and I have had a couple interactions with caves together. Wait, when did we go to a fucking cave? We went to the Sharkman cave, which was very scary. We did go to the Sharkman cave. That was very scary. Okay. Did not like that. And then on Big Island, we went into a sea cave, which had fire pits in the back of it, and it just kept getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And I think we got tired and we came back. That checks out. Was the shark man, one of them was like, the, um, the ceiling was low, like low, low, like where you'd have to like crawl. That There's mm-hmm. a point where I'm like, if I have to crawl, I'm not spelunking. I am not a spelunker. Oh. I'm spunky. <laughs> I don't smell like spunk. But I am not a spelunker. No, we were not. We were not uh, prepared to do a lot of the caving that we did. There was a certain point where I was like, I think I'm maybe five steps from slipping and falling. And we were, you know, we were looking very cute. Like, so what is a cave? What's the difference between a cave, a cavern, a crevice? Oh. And how do we feel about them? The answer is we feel complicated. Okay. So a cave is any void in the earth that light cannot reach. Oh, spooky. That's a spooky definition. Some sources stated that in order for it to be a cave and not just a hole in the ground, a human being has to reasonably be able to fit inside of it. So right off the bat, we're thinking about caves and caverns in relationship to our bodies. Okay. So cavemen live in caves. They weren't crevice men. (laughs) They were cavemen. Yes. Yes. Okay. There's a lot of different kinds of caves. There's sea caves, lava tubes, ice caves, caves made by erosion, caves made by just a bunch of rocks falling down and making a cave, Uh, caves that are underwater, caves that are above water, caves that are stinky, and of course, caves that are inexplicably creepy. I feel like most caves are inexplicably creepy. Like, if you really think about it, I mean, I guess I've been to some caves where it's like, oh, cool, this is like a modern marvel, but... There is some, it's just the darkness, right? It's what makes it creepy. Caves are predominantly made of limestone, which makes sense why there are so many caves in the Midwest. And from our time in Indiana, Alicia and I know that limestone is so abundant in the Midwest that they literally made a ton of our government buildings out of it, had such a surplus. Mm -hmm. And going further, Alicia and I grew up just a few hours north of the longest cave system on Earth, Mammoth Cave. In Kentucky, it is so long that baby witches, they are not done mapping it yet. Have you ever gone to it? Yes, absolutely. Have you? Yes. We went on like a family vacation. Yeah. Yes, yes. Did your dad also yell? (laughs) Ooh, I don't know. I'm sure we did. But Mammoth Cave is really interesting because it's like they have things lit up, but it is still an active like archaeological site. 
I feel like we shouldn't be allowed to be in there then. No, absolutely not. These people are bold. It's like, what, they're going to like break down a wall and let out the lizard people and I'm just there on a school trip? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone find your buddy. You and I are like, <sighs> ah! Just screaming. Running. Slipping. Yeah. Crying. A typical school trip. When you enter a cave, a couple things happen. It gets dark. Very dark. The kind of dark that feels deeply unnatural. The kind of dark that feels pregnant with possibility. But not like the cool kind of possibility, like a new job or a new boyfriend. The kind where it's totally possible that a bat is going to fly into your hair and then control you like a little ratatouille. (laughs) Um, It also gets cold. Because it's so dark, there are parts of the cave that will never see the light of day and therefore never have the air within them heated to a comfortable 75 degrees. And you'd think that being closer to the Earth's molten mantle, caves would be warm, but they tend to be so frigid that they are prisons of death and emptiness. Or are they? Oh my gosh. I don't know now. And finally, in many instances, when you go into a cave, it gets wet. Mm-hmm. They slippery. Not all caves are sloppy with cave juice, but in my experience, many are. And whether that's because of their proximity to groundwater or that some cave systems can literally generate their own weather systems? What? I do not know. But if a cave is wet, it's because it's in the process of growing, changing, and evolving because the water is how it grows its little like stalactites and mites and mosquito bites. But keep in mind that the water may not have seen the light of day in hundreds of thousands of years. This is not water to be drinking. There are little guys in it. Yeah. The water contains micro minerals and potentially liquid gases like CO2. On Getting Curious with uh, Jennifer Van Ness, Professor Kathleen Johnson talked about that in some cases the water on caves is so carbonated that it's like the wall is covered in forbidden LaCroix. I wonder if it's good for your skin. Put a little... Oh, maybe a little toner, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we're going to like those spas where like the little fish will eat the skin off of your Mm -hmm. feet, your feetsies, why not just hang out in caves? I heard that's also not good, but I still want to do it. I did it at the um, not on my tootsies, but on my fingies. I went to the uh, St. Louis Aquarium and you can get your little paws munched on. Just a little manicure. Mm -hmm. Mm. They're very cute. The toxicity and the noxious gas of some caves will come into play later, so keep her in mind. And there's still debate today whether or not a significant amount of early humans actually lived in caves, because we kind of have this idea of, like, the cave men, Mm -hmm. right? And they have the fire pit, and the women are there. Just hanging out. And there's clubs. Mm -hmm. Yep. Some research suggests that the bodies that we found in caves are actually more likely to have been food for predators who dragged their dinner into caves. Like cavemen? Like like uh, saber-toothed tigers. Oh. And bears, probably. So spooky. It's, you know, there's the ocean. Mm-hmm. And it's big and deep and mysterious. And then you're on land, and you feel like, maybe I'll be safe. And then you remember, there are caves just underneath. Just you will never feel safe. You know what's worse is that you can believe that you're, like, safe and on the surface, and then all of a sudden the sinkhole will open up because a cave got too wiggity wet. Oh, my God. I and then you're just... It just La Brea tar pits you just into the ground with the nauseous <laughs> yes. gas. With the dinosaurs. Yes. So how did we feel about caves in ancient times? For millennia, the humans on our little pale blue dot of a planet have thought about caves as the domain of spirits, gods, and other supernatural beings. Which makes sense. Yeah, checks out. It's spooky. Ghosts are spooky. It's a great place for a ghost to go. Some cultures believe that the spirits literally lived within the rock walls or lurked in the deepest parts of caves. Humans believed caves to be the entrances to the underworld or a subterranean hollow earth. They're like, this is not just a dead end. This is like, there is shit down here. There is a road. This is the, the Yellow Brick Road to Spooky Town. Mm-hmm. Entering one was not to be taken lightly. This fearful respect of caves could also come from the fact that the people who ventured into them didn't always come back out. Like, if you're a prehistoric spelunker, if you're tuk-tuk, getting ready to go get some crystals, you had to know every nook and cranny of a cave to travel safely because one wrong turn, and you are literally trapped in hell. I hate that. 
I have no idea how we did anything, you know? Like, how did we ever explore anything? Like, do people not care about self-preservation? I think all the time about, like, poisonous plants. Mm-hmm. And that they're just eating. We just eating plants. Yeah. Fully. Fully. Just Russian rouletteing it. Yeah. Idiots. There is evidence that pre-human hominids used caves as burial sites. In 2013, the Rising Star Cave System in South Africa, scientists discovered a burial site for the species Homo naledi, which are like distant cousins of Homo sapiens, who lived 335,000 years ago. That's a long time ago. So we're not related. We never like, there's no people that are like... If we never kissed, okay, we never held hands under the moonlight, so we are like distant cousins, okay? Okay. So if you scroll down, you'll see this chamber called the Nedaledi Chamber, and um, it is not easy to get into, okay? So just like to give our podcast listeners perspective, you go into a cave, then you have to army crawl through a 10-inch tall gap. I'm not doing so that. So nobody with titties is coming in here. No. Well, yeah, I guess it's physically impossible for me to do that. You have to scale a cliff called Dragon's Back. Sounds like so much work. And then you drop down a two-foot-wide death pit into what is called the Denaledi Chamber. So four-foot-nine Homo Naledi would drag their dead grandma through this cave system to bury them in this chamber. There's a great documentary called The Cave of Bones, which I recommend everyone watching. It's on Netflix. Um, that's about the Rising Star Cave in the Nedaledi. And they talk about that due to the circumstances of the burial and how the chamber is decorated in marks, the scientists have come to the conclusion that the Homo Nedaledi believed in an afterlife. And whether they felt that this chamber was necessary for that transformation, that spiritual journey, we're not really sure. But would you drag your limp, dead loved one's body deep into the earth, scale a 50-foot drop into the dark if you didn't think it was really, really, really important? That's a good point. And if other hominids believed in life after death, if they had a spiritual worldview, humanoids that are not in almost no way connected to us, what does that mean for us? Like, is a relationship to the spirit world something that's inherited from a being beyond Homo sapien? Is it like in some way ingrained into our DNA? Like do other animals, does Artemis have a concept of the afterlife? Artemis is the afterlife. <sighs> Artemis, Artemis's GI track is where we all go after yeah. death. <laughs> Just go swoop right in there. That is pretty crazy. Like that concept of mm-hmm. people believed in an afterlife, people people things i guess believed in an afterlife yeah. before people creatures people creatures people creatures right they're not things people creatures they're just distant cousins we haven't kissed and it probably couldn't like articulate it or i guess they could articulate it in their way which is dragging yeah. dead bodies into a cave it is pretty wild or did religious capitalism already take over by that time yeah i mean it's it's like what does like, what does Homo Nedaledi religion look like? Mm-hmm. Is there a hierarchy? Yeah. Who's actually dragging these people in here? Is it men or is it all of us? And I would, I would really recommend watching the, um, the documentary because they kind of talk about like what it means to bury your dead, which is for the most part a distinction of like respect and the idea of an afterlife, but also that the thought that like I cannot bear to watch what is going to happen to you. Like, you're mm-hmm. thinking about the future and, like, the knowledge of decomposition and the idea that that is going to be so painful for me. That, like, I have to take you into this pit and bury you. I can't even just leave you in the pit. They're not on the ground. They dig holes oh. into the rock. Oh. To I bury them. they dug holes into the ground. Well, I mean, yeah. I guess you can't, like, leave them upstairs and, like, with the wild animal coming to eat them. And what are you going to do? Like, defend grandma when you're like, you know what? That saber-toothed tiger is very hungry mm-hmm. like this is not a battle i'm going to win so let's get into the idea of caves as a metaphor for reality so plato's cave also known as the allegory of the cave is an allegory for how our perceptions and circumstances impact our understanding of reality and how uh, there's power but also disempowerment in education so the story goes imagine alicia mm-hmm 
that there are three people chained to a wall in a cave. They've been there since they were born. Behind the prisoners is a campfire that projects light onto the cave wall in front of them. And in front of the fire, someone has left puppets. So these shadow puppets are projected onto the wall in front of the prisoners. And there's like a little drawing you can see. Mm -hmm. The prisoners say, this is reality. The shadow that I see in front of me, this is reality. One prisoner finds that their chains have been rusted away. And when the prisoner stands up and they turn around, they see the fire and they see the puppets. And enlightened, they say, oh, no, I was mistaken. This is reality. These puppets in this fire, this is reality. Then the prisoner, sort of empowered by his enlightenment, investigates the cave and they find a tunnel that leads to the surface. They've been in this cave so long that it just looks like a bright white circle in the distance. Enlightened, the prisoner says, oh no, I was mistaken, this bright white circle is reality. Still curious, the prisoner approaches the bright circle and finds themselves on the surface of our planet. And it takes a while for their eyes to adjust, but they find that they're surrounded by trees and rivers and the bright blue sky and um, a bunch of hotties being like, hey, <laughs> cutie. Um, and the prisoner, once more enlightened, says, oh, no, I was mistaken. All of this is reality. So the sad part about this tale is that the enlightened prisoner, who has made it to the surface, decides that they want to share this discovery with those that are left behind. And when they re-enter the cave, their eyes have adjusted to the bright light so they can barely see it's so dark. And they can just make out the campfire on the other end of the cave. And when they finally make it back to their peers, they try to relay their experience from the surface, but all of the cave dwellers see is that their friend's journey has blinded them and has injured them because it's too dark for them to live in their reality now. Mm -hmm. And the cave dwellers refuse to leave and in fact mock and threaten the life of their old friend. So while this metaphor is for the human condition, I think that the setting of the cave itself is integral to understanding the story because the cave represents the structures of like this old way of thinking, right? It's controlled. It's dark. It's like a time capsule that exists within but separate from our true reality. So you have the image of the cave symbolizing the past but also a space outside of time, outside of society, civilization, um, and perhaps as an entrance to another kind of reality. And then... The cave is also safe, right? Even when you're chained to a wall watching a fake reality, you are free from the unexpected. So think like the evils that we know, right? It's so much more uncomfortable to sit in a bad situation than have to face the insecurity of an unknown situation. It's like a womb-like space that shields its occupants from the outside world. Fucking crazy. Plato, he was on some shit. Now, let's head over to ancient Greece for the tale of Orpheus and Eurydice. Ooh. And there's an amazing musical based on this tale that's like just come on Broadway within the last year called Hades Town that incorporates New Orleans jazz. I'm seeing it in LA tonight. Are you really tonight? Yeah. We got like lottery tickets. Oh. We saw it in New York too, but we were like, fuck yeah. Oh my God. So, okay. So this is. The Greek tale, the one that's on Broadway, is a little bit different, but still just as moving and devastating. Mm -hmm. um, again, would highly recommend. The story goes that Orpheus, son of Apollo, had a beautiful voice. When he sang, he could calm any man, beast, or berry. Yes, I said berry because even plants responded to him. They loved him. The young Orpheus fell in love with a beautiful woman, Eurydice, who often found herself dancing among the nymphs in the forest. The two married on a beautiful day in late summer, but were destined for tragedy. Just days after their wedding, Eurydice was out either foraging for food or hanging with her girlies, which she is right to do, mm -hmm. when she was bitten by a viper and she dies. Oh, the worst <sighs> way to go. Traumatize a little guy? I have nightmares about that. Crazy. Devastated, Orpheus decides that there's only one thing that he can do. He is going to travel to Hades to convince the Lord of the Underworld to return his wife to him. That's not her fault. She was hanging out in the woods. No. She's just a very woodsy, whimsical girl. Orpheus, with the help of his beautiful voice, enters a cave, enchants the beast Cerberus and the lurking spirits of the Underworld until he reaches the palace of Hades and Persephone, who has just recently returned from her sabbatical to the surface. Orpheus sings for the gods, the world's most heartbreaking song about losing Eurydice. 
It's literally written that it is the saddest song in the entire world. It's Landslide, isn't it? It's- By the chicks. That's it. Hand of seasons, <laughs> ocean time. Oh, good God. He just figured it out first. <laughs> Okay, so Orpheus sings Landslide by the Chicks. <laughs> and his love for Eurydice breaks Persephone's heart. And she convinces her husband to return Eurydice to Orpheus. But on one condition, Hades says, you must return to the surface, single file. You cannot touch her nor turn back the entire way to the surface. Oh, goosebumps. Orpheus is like easy peasy. Like I, I, I just came back from there, and I trust my dead wife. And they start walking. As they make their way through the cave, doubt sinks into Orpheus's mind. What if the gods have tricked him, sending back with him some kind of beast in the form of Eurydice? What if she's lost faith in him and decided to turn back? He can't hear her footsteps. What if she was never there in the first place? And just a few, I also have chills, just a few steps from the mouth of the cave, Orpheus can't take it anymore. And he turns around, expecting to have his fears affirmed. And there, standing in the light of the sun, is Eurydice, dutifully behind him the entire time. And then she is sucked back down to hell. Oh, you fucked up, dude. You fucked up. What a sad story. It's so sad because you're just like, you're just, you're right there. Yeah. You're so close. And then uh, the myth goes on and I think uh, Orpheus gets beheaded. There's like a whole thing. It just doesn't end well for him. Yeah. Talk about self-destruction, my dude, my man. Orpheus, come on. Now, the ancient Greeks had what they considered to be literal entrances to hell. So Italian archaeologists have been working on a site in modern-day Turkey that was once known as Hierapolis. So I'm going to read from the National Geographic. Pilgrims from around the classical world came to Hierapolis to bathe in its hot springs and worship at the Plutonians, a temple precinct built over a cave and underground thermal vents. The Greek philosopher Strabo, when writing about these caves, mentions the singular properties of the Plutonian, saying... It is an opening of a sufficient size to admit a man. So remember, we're thinking in perspective to our body. And there is a descent to a great depth. The space is filled with a cloudy and dark vapor, so dense that the bottom can scarcely be discerned. Animals which enter die instantly. Mm -mm. Even bulls, when brought within, fall down and are taken by death. We have ourselves thrown in sparrows, which immediately fall down lifeless. That's not good. Those nauseous gases, my dude. Mm-mm, mm-mm. But do you know who else in Greek myth resided in caves and hung out with noxious gases? Who? Me. No. Just <laughs> I'm too young. Uh, the Sibyls. The Sibyls. The Sibyls were young female oracles who lived in temples carved out of caves. And the one that you're most likely to know is the Sibyl of Delphi who predicted the Trojan War. Right on the money. These were real women. I put real in quotes because we're not entirely sure, but we're pretty sure these were real women who gave prophecy to kings and generals. And as far as I understand, there's about 12 of them, but I'm not sure if they all lived at the same time. They seem to all kind of have their own flair, uh, depending on where they're from. So the Sibyls would sit on thrones and divine through ecstatic trance, similar to how you would imagine Victorian-era trance mediums to perform. Mm. And I'm going to read from The Secret History of Witches by Max Dashu. The possible trance-inducing substances include the volcanic vapors or steams that rose from fissures between the rocks. Archaeological excavation has uncovered two geological fault lines between the ruins of the temple at Delphi that are formed in such a way that it releases... Methane, ethane, and ethylene. And ethylene, in particular, is considered a narcotic gas, as determined by the pioneering work of anesthesiologist Isabel Herb, who found that a dose of just 20% of ethylene, or less, given to a patient, induces an altered state of euphoria and trance-like states. So think like, you're here on fucking laughing gas, and the king of Europe is here being like, should we kill the Moors? And you're like, <laughs> I, I guess <laughs> you're like I don't care I don't know I don't know them the devil yeah. Ooh. So it's, it, that's kind of the same thing we're eating poisonous plants and we're just like 
taking narcotic gas to figure out anesthesiology. No, it doesn't make any fucking sense. We should all be dead. It's a goddamn miracle any of us are alive. Just to wrap up like our sort of caves as symbolism, caves also symbolize the origin of humanity. So the Zuni people have lived along the Zuni River in New Mexico since at least 1000 BC as like a fully realized society. But their language is so unique that they share almost no words in common with their neighboring communities. And linguists believe that the Zuni language could be up to 7000 years old. Ooh, crazy. The creation story of the Zuni religion has the first beginnings of man being born inside an ever-overcrowding cave. It says, quote, Everywhere were unfinished creatures, crawling like reptiles, one over the other in filth and black darkness, crowding thickly together and treading all over each other, one spitting on one another or doing other indecency. So much so that their murmurings and laments grew so loud that many among them sought to escape, growing wiser and more manlike. What? Dude, we're just like little lizard guys. Oh, I don't like that. Moved by the plight of these miserable creatures, the sun god sends down his twin sons, elder and younger brother, who built a ladder of grass from the cave to the surface. The cave dwellers must ascend through the layers of reality, each larger and stranger than the last, a layer of the world full of storms and darkness, a layer of the world like a valley of starlight, until they finally reach the surface. The human bodies had been modified by elder and younger brother to acclimate them to the surface world because they were little creepy crawly guys, right? So our webbed fingers were cut to work the land, our mouths sliced open with a knife <gasps> so that we could eat. But then after we ate, we didn't have anywhere to put the food, so they poked holes in our butts what? so we could poop. These things just weren't eating the entire time. This makes no sense. But they were fucking and making more. It's like so crazy. So this metaphor of the cave as the womb out through which humanity must find the light of day is an interesting contrasting image to the cave as a path for through which all humans must take after death. So it's like, you know, we're not crawling out. We often view ourselves as crawling into the earth. So there's this kind of like dichotomy of caves as liminal spaces through which we transition. Oh my gosh, you want an existential crisis? Think about caves. <laughs> Here it is on a silver platter for you. And of course, with caves being so fucking spooky-ooky, they're fucking haunted. Probably all of them are haunted at this point. I hope so. I hope not. <laughs> I really think that's like, so Mammoth Cave is cool. Like, you know, you're in a cave. It's very cool. But I feel like I would never go to a cave knowing that it was haunted. Doesn't that just seem a little risky? Like, one, it's a cave. Two, it's haunted. Come on. Yeah, that, that's like God's trap house. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, thank you. You're playing with fire over here, and I don't want anything to do with it. But the thing is, with most of these haunted caves, you can go. Because capitalism is rampant. You can pay whatever $30 to go into whatever cave. So all the caves I'm going to list, I'm pretty sure you could just fucking go to them. There's a website for them. The first cave being the Bell Witch Cave. All right, take us down to Tennessee, y'all. In Adams, Tennessee, you can go to the Bell Witch Cave. And in 1817, a farmer named John Bell moved from North Carolina to a 230-acre farm near the Kentucky border, which, stunning, John, that's a lot of land. We're moving up in the world. He's like, I'm a real farmer. He's just farming shit, you know, doing whatever farmers do. With his little webbed hands. Yeah. No. As soon as John and his family moved in, they began to hear strange noises, rattling chains, choking sounds, and heavy knocks on the walls. Like... like that <laughs> i don't like that at all hello who's there i'm we're not expecting company soon they began to hear a ghostly voice which was soon deemed as the bell witch because you know john bell there's a witch bell witch you know that was an easy there are no bells involved just people with the last <laughs> name of bell some narratives believe that the ghost was a male slave whom john bell had killed in the past which Makes sense. He's a farmer who can afford 230 acres of land, so he's probably some kind of slave owner. 
Uh, while others say it was someone he had cheated in North Carolina who had come back from beyond the grave for revenge. So I don't know if John Bell's a good person, is what we're trying to say here in the subtext. The most popular theory is that the witch was a neighbor called Kate Batts, who had a strong dislike for Bell and his daughter Betsy. Because Betsy was probably a little bitch, you know? Let's just be honest. Regardless of who the Bell witch may have been, apparently the witch hated young Betsy and would terrorize the young girl and then beat her unconscious, which that's a little serious for a witch. That is a child. Yeah. The story became legend when John Bell died under mysterious circumstances. It is believed the Bell witch killed John Bell and that the witch poisoned him. And to this day, Tennessee claims John Bell's death as due to the supernatural making it the only state to recognize a person's death to the supernatural. Whoa, really? Is that crazy? Yeah. Like the governor. They're like, yep. If you go through the archives, they're like, death by spook. I don't know. He got ghosted to death. I mean, he was poisoned, but really it was a ghost. Many believe that when the Bell Witch finally departed from the family, that the ghost fled to the sanctuary of the Bell Cave, which you can take a tour of if you're in Tennessee, which I think, is awful because why would you want to go somewhere where someone by the government was like you died of spook but yet come on down thirty dollars come see our spooky ass cave and and historically we know that this witch ghost does not like young women no but i don't know i bet betsy was just like a real fucking prick well, she didn't have a great start in her life. Her name was Betsy Bell. A Betsy Bell. I don't, that's kind of a perfect other name, though. Betsy Bell. Like, she probably had everything. I'm thinking of the cute little blonde girl in, like, The Princess and the Toad. Like, oh yeah. I bet she was some kind of, like, debutante, like, had all of that going for her. Mm-hmm. Was probably filthy rich. Mm-hmm. She was probably a fucking brat. If you die, mm-hmm. do you, I mean, I feel like, easiest death die in your sleep that's great yeah but if you don't die in your sleep i feel like i would want to pass away under suspicious circumstances Mm -hmm. like nothing makes you live forever in the way that a mysterious death does than a rumor yes than town gossip than gossip Mm -hmm. cheese me yeah just the local legend the folklore of the death of tarakek what happened? We don't it know. It was weird. She cheated. Oh. She cheated a man and he came back from the grave to kill her practical magic style. <laughs> we also have the Hellfire Caves. In Buckinghamshire, England. I like the little suspenseful pause I put between it. England. <laughs> it's a very pregnant pause. <laughs> There's a series of caves known as the West Wymecombe Caves that are a network of man-made chalk and flint caves believed to be haunted. The caves became known as the Hellfire Caves after an occult group began meeting in the caves in the 18th century. The group was a secret society that was later called the Hellfire Club. The group would worship Bacchus and Venus, and it was rumored that black magic, satanic rituals, and of course your good old orgy were common occurrences at the Hellfire Club. Legend has it that the caves are haunted by Suki, a young maid who was accidentally killed by people playing a practical joke on her, which is fucking rude. Also, if I'm with you in a cave, it's not the time to be joking. No, this is serious. I don't want any jokes. I, no one's popping out. No one's spooking. No one's pushing me. Like You don't have to try hard to be scary in caves. So no. like, we don't need to be adding extra, extra spook to this. No, thank you. Others believe that the ghost was of Paul Whitehead, the former steward of the Hellfire Club, and that he still haunts the caves, which I wonder why. Like, I wonder what, like, vengeance. Or maybe he was just like, dude, the Hellfire Club, that was my peak. Those orgies were banging. And so he's just, like, in there, like, raving, you know? <laughs> she said with this. These are his glow sticks. I wish you guys could see I mean, what if when you, okay. You die of suspicious circumstances. But instead of haunting the people that you hate the most, you just get to go back and, like, live your best L.A. grads. I'm trying to think of, like, the best time of your fucking life. Yeah. Wouldn't that be so much nicer? And he's just like, we're just partying it up in this cave. Come on over. Hellfire Club forever, baby. 
Another cave, which this one's actually a cavern, is the Moaning Cavern in Vallecito, California, close to my neck of the woods. In this area, there's a big fucking hole in the ground called the Moaning Cavern. And bro, things fall into that hole. Saber-toothed no. tigers fall into the hole. No. Native Americans fall into the hole. No. Cowboys in the hole. No. Your drunk uncle probably in the hole. And if you were near the hole and didn't know there was a hole, you just fell into the hole. Fucking like in Casper. Like the girl's dad just like walking off the cliff. <laughs> you just fall into the hole. And it's not a cute like you fell and like, you know, you can get out kind of thing. This is a fall and you land on a bunch of jagged rocks, and you die, dude. Why have we not filled in this hole? Uh, what is with this hole? Why are there so many people near this hole? This cavern is in the middle of what was once known as gold country. Three miners fell into the hole. All three miners died. One miner almost fell into the hole, and finally it was like, dude, we need to rope this shit off. We need to stop falling into this hole. Now people who visit the hole often hear the ominous sound of a hammer hitting rock. This is believed to be from the ghost Tommy Knockers. Shut the fuck up. Stupid name. <laughs> Legend yeah, I put him in the hole too. Yeah. <laughs> Legend has it that Tommy Knockers are a group of ghostly miners that are still looking for their gold. They will pound on the rock to continue their search for gold and to warn visitors to not fall into the fucking hole like they did. Which kind of doesn't work because it's like you hear a ghostly sound. You're probably going to like walk towards it a little bit. And then there you go into the fucking hole. It's not a good warning. It's a bad warning. It's kind of like it's evo- it's kind of evolutionary to like kind of weed out the people that are going <laughs> to Scooby-Doo go investigate. And maybe uh, allow the others that are a little more cautious, a little more skeptical mm-hmm. to reproduce. That saber-toothed tiger I mentioned, that kitty cat, is also said to be haunting the Moaning Cavern. He's fondly referred to as Chip the Saber-toothed Tiger. And apparently the ghost of Chip will just stare you down, which is so scary because it's a fucking saber-toothed tiger. That's not something I want, like, looking at me. And Chip gets his name because one of his large saber-tooths is chipped. Oh, from his fall. Yeah, we went for real originality with that one. But that is, Chip the Sabertooth Tiger is much better than Tommy Knockers. <laughs> I think we can agree on that. I got to say, though, that like the 49ers, like the like the Gold Rush people were not known um, to be highly educated nor mm-hmm. very creative or imaginative. They were mostly true. muscle and desperate. They were just desperate. Lots of teeth falling out. Very dirty. Mommy problems, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And basically, anyone who fell into this hole and died is to believe to be haunting this cavern. Because, you know, it was just fucking collecting goats. And honestly, I think this one is, like, my least favorite of all these caves, caverns we mentioned. Because California is, like, known for earthquakes. So what if you're down there and there's, like, an earthquake? Like, I just would not be spelunking in a cave in California. Like, that seems like no. multiple red flags for me. No, wild, wild. In gold country. And the idea that there's, like, all of these um, caves, caverns, and mines that are, like, unmarked mm-hmm. in California is also kind of crazy. They're, like, maybe you're going to, like, go out and camp, and all of a sudden there's an earthquake, and whoops, you were on top of a mine the whole time, so now you're getting sucked down to hell. Ugh, I hate this. California is not safe. Stay out. And then to close out this episode, I do want to give us a really darling listener story by listener Baby Witch Maureen, who found out we were talking about caves and sent us this. So she says, I love caves. Good, good. Someone has to. Though I'll only go to ones that are safe for tourists, spelunking is not my idea of a great time. My husband is not thrilled with the idea of being underground at all, but he is an excellent sport about me dragging him along. We visited How Caverns once on a whim. Turns out one of the rooms is a bridal altar where Lester Howe's daughter got married. There is a calcite heart in the floor of the cavern, which has a legend attached to it. So this is a legend. If you stand on the heart and you're not married, you will be within a year. If you stand on it and you're already married, 
You'll be on a second honeymoon within a year. Wait, does that mean you're gonna like break up? No, second honeymoons. Oh, you're no, just vacation. I thought it was like second husband. No, it's sick. It's sexy. It's sexy uh, vacation. Okay. Okay. Good. So she says, my husband and I stood on it and six months later booked the same Alaskan cruise that we went on for our honeymoon and that they actually are literally going on this cruise like literally next weekend. Oh, October 14th. So this past weekend. They might be on the cruise right now when this drops, which is adorable. That's so cute. So she said the calcite heart looks a little too polished to be entirely natural, but it was a really fun legend. And then she said in another witchy fun tip, Water dripping on you from the cave ceiling is supposed to be lucky. I always forget to bring a bottle with me to catch some since it is generally not allowed to take pebbles out of the cavern with you. But maybe one day I'll remember. I have a hard time connecting to things related to earth elements since I'm much more of a water person. And it can assist with expanding my practice to be more earth-centered or anything I need to do to dig deep within myself. And she says pardon the pun. I love the pun. Thank you, Maureen. That was so charming. I didn't know it was that so cute. water dripping on you was supposed to be lucky in a cave. It's kind of like a pigeon shitting on you. Okay, well, I'm tired of talking about caves. <laughs> uh, they're too spooky. We got to move on to something else. I just, I need to elevate this energy. I need to en- elevate this energy. This energy. Energy. And that means it's time for. Which is in the news. Energy. Energy, baby. Energy. Our first story is virtual reality magic. Oh, what? Future. Future is here. In 1711 Ireland, but now, you know, starting with the past, eight women and a man were found guilty of witchcraft at Carrickfergus Courthouse. A young girl named Mary Dunbar had accused them of bewitching and tormenting her, culminating in a dramatic trial. You've heard this story before. We've talked about this before. These accused victims are known as the Island McGee witches. You mean my bitches? Yeah, your witches. And now with virtual reality, you can experience the trial for yourself, which I think this is very cool, actually. This exhibit is called The Demonized, Possessed and Bewitched Experience at the Carrickfergus Museum. The project harnesses cutting-edge virtual reality technology that has been developed by Belfast tech firm Centereal on behalf of Ulster University. Dr. Helen Jackson, a senior lecturer in interactive media at UU, Ulster University, said the goal of the project was to give people a sense of what it means to be persecuted and that feeling of being disoriented, confused, and alienated, and even nervous when you know everyone is against you. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is some kind of, like, psychological torture happening here. When users put the headset on, they are transported to Island McGee and find themselves in the place of either Mary or one of the accused witches, even though more than likely Mary's experience was completely made up and that she was just being a little bitch. The creators wanted to look at what it would be like if you were actually possessed, like what that like feeling, that sensation would be. And on the other side, if you're one of the accused witches, she wanted to create an experience of what it is like to be a social pariah that everyone's whispering about every time you pass someone on the street. So very like paranoia, like heightened yeah. feelings. And this VR experience was released in September and will be running until mid-November. I think this is such a cool way of VR being like, I'm literally putting you in someone else's shoes. Like, walk a day in someone else's shoes. Yeah. And not just victims, but perpetrators as well. To, like, kind of give this, like, holistic view of, like, what history is. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. Like, that'd be so cool to see done for, like, the Salem witch trials. Oh, my God. Amazing. I know. Technology, dude. It's booming. It's busting. Our second story, Kentucky Witches Day Out receives backlash. Not good. Witches Day Out in Cynthiana, Kentucky is an annual festival filled with live music and various food and craft vendors, and it's all for a very, very good cause. This year, the Witches Day Out was fundraising to help cover medical expenses for a 10-year-old girl with brain cancer. Okay? Like... People are just doing this because witches are fun and they want to be saints. 
But this year's festival brought in more than the organizers had bargained for. Festival committee member Brenda White said, We've had some protesters come every Thursday. For whatever reason, they have targeted our group, the Harrison Witches. I think they think we're real witches. We are not. Love this. <laughs> this woman's so articulate. I'm like, you tell them, Brenda. And apparently it was fine at first, but then the protesters became disruptive. They began talking about how witches and witch festivals were not in the Bible, which like, what? Literally, this fucking Moses guy, like, Jesus was walking on water. Yeah, are you fucking kidding me? The, the sea opened up. It's all magic. It's all witches. You want to know what else isn't in the Bible? A, a fucking Big Mac. <laughs> Your pacemaker. Chick-fil-A. What else is not the Bible? Is like fucking North Face. Yeah. That's true. Sound off, baby. Sound off. And then the protesters started calling people names like heathens and sinners and, you know, classically saying that they were going to be dragged to hell. And I was just like, I just don't have the energy for this. I, re I no. just like I can't understand being like so sure of yourself and that you're one of like God's little angel warriors that you need to go out somewhere and like yell at people and make them feel bad to prove to God of how worthy you are it just like it really like psychologically doesn't make sense to me i'm too low maintenance for this and then the protesters began pushing people out of their way so one they pushed was like a teenage boy they pushed like a teenage girl and it literally oh, you can't touch them you can't touch people it got to the point that the witches day out organizers called the police and began to even create a petition so that this specific religious protesting group could not return to their event yeah, they're, like, harassing and stalking. Exactly. And Brenda White, who's very clearly annoyed at these protesters, she said, We have no intention of stopping the festival. Everyone in this group is committed to what we're doing, and we're not going to let something like this stop us. So obnoxious. Oh, my gosh. It's like, let's just leave people alone. People are just having fun. They're raising money for a child with cancer. I also feel a little bit like... It, it, this is just like such a weird space to do it you like it's just truly really like you actually don't know what's happening right now yeah they're probably like the same people who are like burn your harry potter books stuff like that yeah Ugh. yeah hate it and our last story for the day is it's eclipse season y'all yikes we're in it and y'all are probably feeling it Yes, ma'am. The eclipse occurred this past Saturday, October 14th, which was a solar eclipse in Libra. And it is going to last until the day before my birthday, you know, October 28th, with a lunar eclipse in Taurus. So we got these two eclipses going on here. Eclipses are basically like supercharged new and full moons. Whenever an eclipse happens, you'll see serious changes in the area of your life, based on your birth chart, of course, where that eclipse is occurring. That's part of the reason why some years are all about work for some people. Others are all about dating. Others are focused more on money issues. It, look at like where your Libra is in your birth chart. Figure that whole thing out. And then same with Taurus and be like, okay, what? why am I feeling this? Where am I going to feel this? Eclipses often speed things up and they'll push you in the direction you should be going. Baby, you fucking hate that job. Maybe this week, seemingly out of nowhere, you have convinced yourself that you should quit. Shit like that happens around eclipses. That, like, moment when your, like, brain just shifts and you're like, oh, actually, I'm seeing this in a completely different focus, but it is in focus. And change seems to be the essence of eclipse season. We may not always perceive or understand the purpose within the change at the moment, but we should trust that something is being planted in that very moment, regardless of whether we know what that will become or not. So it's out there. This is your warning. The eclipses are mm -hmm. here. Get ready. Don't be afraid. And be open. Just be open to it. Be open be to open. the change and the transformation. And this has been Witches in the News. Oh, my God. Baby, thank you. Thank you. You're always such, like, active audience. I, I love everything you bring. It's always a surprise. Thank you. And now we're going to transition to our spell. And this is a Take Back Your Power spell by Lily Statham or at Mystic Primrose. You can find her on Instagram. This is what you need. A red candle, a bay leaf, a permanent marker, fire-resistant bowl. It's got to be fire-resistant. We ain't – don't melt anything. 
<laughs> salt, rose petals, chili flakes, twine or thread. And then, of course, something to light the candle and you need water on standby for safety. Always. This is a spell that you need to watch to ensure safety. So never leave an open flame. And if you're under 18, make sure you have parental guidance. I can't afford to be sued, honestly. Like, it's just, it will just be a waste of everyone's time. We don't got no money over here at Witch Ass. I am, I am just as afraid of your mom as you are, baby witch. (laughs) I don't want to talk to her. With the permanent marker, you are going to write your intention on the bay leaf. A good intention for the spell is, I step into my divine power. You know, take that kind of sentiment and run with whatever you write on your bay leaf. Then you will wrap the bay leaf around the red candle with your twine or thread. Then in your fire-resistant bowl, this is kind of like cooking. You have like multiple steps here. In your fire-resistant bowl, you will pour salt, like a fuck ton of salt, put some rose petals in there, and some chili flakes. And the chili flakes are going to like spice your shit up, which is really actually only half joking because I looked into it, and apparently the chili flakes add heat and energy to your spells. So it does kind of literally spice your shit up. Oh, funny. Good to know. You're going to put your red candle in the bowl of salt and rose petals and chili flakes. And you need to make sure it is in there. Like, we don't want it tipping. That's probably why you're using, like, a fuck ton of salt. You're, like, making an earth out of the salt, basically. Yes. Yeah. Um, Fire, you know, can literally burn your house down. So don't be a fucking dummy. Then light your candle while focusing about your intention. And when the fire gets to the bay leaf, the fire itself is going to get bigger. Like, it's lighting up a leaf. So just make sure that you have the candle within eyesight the entire time it's lit, always just in case. Allow the candle to burn fully and visualize yourself stepping into your higher self and reclaiming your power. And that's it. Don't burn your house down. Please. Please, please. And thank you, Lily Statham, for that wonderful smell. Thank you. Thank you, Mystic Primrose. Yes, because we want our pussy power prayers Back in here, ready to go. To be fucking punching powerfully. Yes. And then there are some pussy power prayers that we need to put out into the world as well. So we would like to Oh, think, profess it. Profess it. Oh, profess it. We would like to thank our provocateurs, our producer, Marcel Perez, our creative director, Mallory Jordan, and Kevin McLeod, whose music we use in the intro and outro. Every time we drop an episode, baby, he's there. He's there in spirit from the very beginning. I'd also like to thank anyone who's written an Apple podcast review or subscribe to our channels on Spotify or wherever you're getting podcasts. Um, I also want to thank Maureen. Yes. Who just wrote us like the sweetest message. So um, if you're on Apple Podcasts, head over, give us five stars. Please write something. It literally costs you nothing and it means everything to us. Like we are trying to grow our brand, trying to grow our podcast. We don't advertise anywhere. So those reviews are one of the biggest things that you can do to help us. If you're not going to give me a million dollars. You can go onto your fucking phone and do it. <laughs> you just say, here is a million dollars. Five stars. And then you're you're free. Yeah. Thank you. We release you. <laughs> if you want to find me, Alicia, on Instagram, I'm at Alicia period herder. If you want to find Tara. I'm at her lovely face. That's my art Instagram. You're going to see me in uh, New York City at the Brooklyn Other Art Fair Ooh. at the beginning of November. So come hang out. And I'm also going to do a studio sale on Instagram for the Gowanus Open Studios. So if you're interested in having some work, some originals for your apartment, uh, your office, uh, your, I don't know, bathroom, your pool house, <laughs> bathroom, your body, uh, head over to Instagram on October 21st and 22nd. Ooh, that's so exciting. And then Witch Yes is on Instagram at Witch Yes. Share an episode in your stories, tag us, and we'll feature you on our stories. I love that we have like days where we don't post and then it's like suddenly like 25 different like memes. Like you and I are just like yeah. on it. We're like, ju 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 ju. You know, it's a very classic like interaction with Instagram. Yeah, with Instagram. <laughs> We also have a Discord server, which you can join that in our show notes. Very cool place. It, bring your witchy question there. There's a whole community that's there to like help you out on your witchcraft journey. And if you don't like the socials, you can always contact us via email at witchyespodcast at gmail.com. 
if you want to be like Maureen, if you want to be like our special bitch, if you want to be our special witch, you can head over to our Patreon because $5 Patreon witches and above get two extra episodes a month. Yes. With we are trudging along to our 100th Patreon episode. It's crazy. We got videos. We got uh, books. We got uh, all kinds of podcast episodes that are obscene and absurd and uh, obtuse. And I think that you'll really like them. So head over to our show notes to get access to that Patreon. I love that. A hundred, dude. That's so many. A full Benjamin. Oh, man. And this has been Witch Yes. Bye, guys. Bye. Happy birthday, Lisa. Thanks.